Next up is Scott. He's going to talk at you for a little while. No, hold your applause. <laughs> Never boring. Thank you, Doc. Now applause. <laughs> I enjoy uh, when Doc gives the announcements every, every time. It's never boring. It's always good. I'm Pastor Scott. Uh, I'm the other pastor on the church, the older version, uh, which means Chris is away today. We're going to be missing Chris. And that means we'll be missing his passion, his energy, his excitement. I love listening to him preach. But also, uh, I need to let you know in advance, it probably means we'll be missing a quote from C.S. Lewis. Yes. Sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Or, or as Chris referred to him a couple weeks ago, the philosopher whom Jesus loved. Did you catch that? Yeah. Um, so I, I do, though, actually have a C.S. Lewis story. Okay, so yeah, we'll kind of keep it going here. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had a wonderful philosophy professor, uh, Dr. Yandel Woodfin. That's a fun name to say, Yandel Woodfin. And uh, Dr. Woodfin loved to talk about the beauty of God. And so he would talk about how art has depicted the impression of what beauty is throughout history. And so day after day, week after week, Dr. Woodfin loved to show slides of old works of art. Now, it was pretty interesting for the first few hundred slides. And then it kind of got a little bit mundane. And our grade at the end of the year, it came from two things and two things only. And it's, that always felt a little bit of pressure when that's the case. Number one, it came from his lectures. He would give a final exam, and that would be part of our grade. But the other part of our grade would be a major paper that we would write and because it was philosophy, he said, you pick a philosopher and you pick a subject, write up a proposal, bring that to me, and next week, I'll look at all of those different uh, proposals and I'll approve them or disapprove them and give you some advice on it. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is easy. Because in college, I loved C.S. Lewis. I used to read him, used uh, C.S. Lewis extensively in a lot of my papers. And in fact, when, when Chris was born, uh, his name is Christopher Scott Westbrook, and I was thrilled to realize, wow, his initials are like C.S. Lewis's. I mean, C.S. Westbrook rather than C.S. Lewis. And I thought that was so cool. So I guess it's kind of destined for him to give C.S. Lewis quotes every week because on his own, he discovered Lewis and fell in love with his writings. But I thought, okay, this is, I love Lewis's material, and I've written a number of papers already. So this is easy, breezy, nice and easy. This is going to be a piece of cake. So I wrote up my proposal. Uh, that I would go out right on C.S. Lewis and uh, the way he addressed the problem of pain and suffering. And I'd already written some papers on that, so I thought this is going to be great. The day came for us to sit with Dr. Woodfin as a whole class and him to take the proposals and just kind of make a comment and approve them. And he's just kind of flying through them. You know, Mr. Smith, I say you want to do Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, approved. Uh, somebody wants to do Kirk. Yeah, that's approved. And then he came to mind and he said, uh, Mr. Westbrook, where are you? And I raised my hand. He goes, aha, I see that you would write, like to write a paper on C.S. Lewis, and particularly his addressing the issue of problem and pain. Is that right? I said, yes, sir, it is. And he goes, very interesting. You know, I was a student of C.S. Lewis. Uh, he was my professor, he said. I got my doctorate from C.S. Lewis. And horror hit my, my heart at that moment. <laughs> 
And I thought, I thought this was going to be a no-brainer. This is going to be an all-brainer. I have really stepped into a quagmire here because, you know, I may know a lot about C.S. Lewis. But Dr. Woodfin knows C.S. Lewis. I mean, he wrote papers that C.S. Lewis graded. He took tests that C.S. Lewis gave. He would sit in class and raise his hand and they would dialogue and argue together and wrestle through the tough issues. And I thought, oh my goodness, this has gone from being the easiest paper that I'm ever gonna write to becoming the most difficult paper that I'm ever gonna attempt. And I can guarantee I spent many, many nights late, late, late working on that paper because I knew about C.S. Lewis, but there'd be no pulling the rug or the wool over this guy's eyes. He knew C.S. Lewis. Now, the reason I tell that story is not just to get a C.S. Lewis story today so we can tell Chris we covered all the bases while he was gone, but actually there's a purpose behind that. You see, in Christianity, in following Jesus, there is a temptation for all of us to know about Jesus, to know about Christianity, to know about this faith in the kingdom of God. But there is a big difference between knowing about and experiencing, being with. I mean, I know a little bit about flying planes. And so if somebody conked out next to me, I could fly a plane, but I can't land a plane. I've never landed a plane. I know about, but I've never experienced it. I know a little bit about parachuting, but I've never parachuted. I would, I would tend to think that you really don't know anything about parachuting until you exit the plane. And then you begin to know what it's like. In Christianity, we have a tendency sometimes just to keep it all upstairs and, and just to keep it logically organized and go, yes, we know about God. We know about the kingdom of God. We know some of the words of Jesus and what he spoke. But do we really know in an experiential way? I want to talk about that this morning. I want to kind of challenge us to think about it. And one of the things we're going to do is to look at the gospel the way that Jesus presented the gospel because it's a little bit different. One of the things that Jesus does is invite us into relationship with him, into life with him. We don't do life alone. We don't do life with just some principles, but we do life with him. And so Christianity is not just about uh, knowledge. It's about a way of life. It's about a way of experiencing and, and walking with God throughout life. Jesus um, announced, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me over in John 14. And if you look at that verse for a moment, I think we've got it on the slides. We do. Thank you. Uh, he, notice what he says. He doesn't say, I'm going to show you the way. He doesn't say, I'm going to tell you some stories about the way. He doesn't say, I'm going to suggest to you a good way or I'm going to point the way out. He says, I am the way. If you want to know the way, stick with me. His invitation to the first disciples was, follow me. Follow me. Come be with me. I don't know if you're watching the TV series The Chosen, uh, but uh, I've discovered it just recently, and so I was able to binge the whole first season. It was an interesting thing. I binged Jesus, you know, the first season. But it's, it's the story of Jesus. It's a TV series. Very well done. They, you know, they, do, they get all, a bunch right, a lot right. But one of the things that's striking to me as I watch this series unfold is that it helps me see not only the divinity of Jesus, but the humanity of Jesus. That he was 
real. That he joked with the, with the disciples. They laughed. He would wink at them sometimes. And he, there are some things in Scripture they bring out, uh, calling uh, James and John the sons of thunder. You know, there's a little bit of fun involved in that. And so beginning to see that this was a way of life of living with, it's not different than us other than it's an invisible kingdom now. But we do life in the presence of God and with God. We're invited to a life with God, not just a life about God. So when Jesus says, I am the way, he's inviting us to come in with him. In fact, when you look through the book of Acts, you see that one of the names given to Christians in the early days was people of the way. They were called the way because it wasn't just middle of sin. It wasn't just some religion. It was a way that they lived their life. When Paul, uh, before he got saved, he was known as Saul, and he was a headhunter of Christians. And by that, I don't mean he helped them find jobs. Uh, He was a a hitman, and he opposed Christians, and so he would persecute them. And he actually went to the officials and said, listen, I need some legal documents. I want to do this the right way. I want to be legal about it. I want to hunt them down and arrest them, but I, I want to be legal. And so he, he got official papers, it says in, in Acts 9, legal papers giving him permission to hunt down and arrest those belonging to the way, the way, the way of following Jesus. And what happened on his way to Damascus to execute those orders, he met Jesus and radically had his life changed. What I found interesting when I was reading through Acts recently is you go to the end of Acts, the close, close to the end of uh, Paul's life, and he's standing on trial for Christianity before Governor Felix. And as he begins to give his defense, he says to him, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers, and I'm a follower of the way. It's kind of a cool description of the life that we live. It's not just beliefs. It's a way we live with God, with God. And I kind of got hijacked, the term the way got hijacked by a cult back in the Jesus movement that I had encountered. And, and I noticed recently I was watching The Mandalorian. And uh, the Mandal- if you don't know, it's a Disney plus Star Wars spinoff. And, and they have a saying there, go, this is the way. When it talks about the way they live their life, this is the way. And I thought, that's cool. They stole that, though, because that's in the Bible. And you'll find that in a lot of movies, won't you? You've got to notice that. But Jesus invites us into a way of living, but it's not a way on our own. It's a way with him. It's a way of seeing life, of experiencing life, and relating to life. It's with eyes of faith. We look at our circumstances, our problems, the challenges, the politics of the day, everything, not from a worldly view, but we look from a whole different paradigm. We look from a spiritual kingdom viewpoint through the eyes of God, and we realize we're not doing this on our own. He is with us. He is with us. So let's talk a minute about the gospel that Jesus preached. When we, we talk about the gospel, we begin to automatically kind of think about the way we present the gospel, but Jesus announced the good news, which means gospel. He announced this, God is showing up. That was his gospel. God is moving in the neighborhood. God is here. Now, when we think of the gospel, we typically think of more of a Western rational presentation. It gives a series of propositional truths that we give mental assent to. And as we go through the checklist, we go, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Boom. Well, then you're saved. I mean, we believe that we're all sinners, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you believe that? We go, 
Yeah, okay, check. Got that one. You believe the penalty of sin is death, that it's separation from God, and to die in that situation means eternal separation from God. I go, yeah, I believe that. Okay, check. We got that next propositional truth. That you're a sinner, yes, and that the sin is not only separation from God, but it can be eternal. Yes, okay, check, got that one. That Christ came to die for your sins, to pay for your sins on the cross, to die in your place. Do you believe that? We go, yeah, good. And that all who repent and place their faith in Christ are saved. We go, check. Now, all of those things are absolutely, totally true and taught in the scriptures. No, shout, no doubt whatsoever about it, absolutely, and essential to know. But the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, the good news when he said, I've got good news for you, was more than just forgiveness. It was more than going to heaven one day. It was the fact that in your life, in the nasty now and now, and the things that you face, the things you struggle with, God is showing up. Amen. And he wants to be with you. He does not want you to do this alone. He is here. And he will help you deal with the sins and the failures of the past. And they will be passed. And he will help you deal with the anxieties that you may have about the future because he's going to be with you. But he's with you now. And he invites you out of beating yourself up over the past or being anxious about the future to be present with him right now. Because he says, I'm here to announce the kingdom of God is here. And he invites us to experience that. When we look at the way that Jesus pronounced the good news, I'm, I'm going to challenge you, take your Bible and look. Don't just take my word for it. Open Matthew up and begin to scan this thing out. It says in Matthew chapter, well, let me just, yeah, Matthew chapter 4, 17, I'm flipping order here. From that time on, this is right after the temptation of Jesus, from the moment he comes out of the desert, it says he begins to say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That's actually Mark chapter 1. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Matthew, same thing. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'm going to use those interchangeably because Jesus does. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they're the same thing. And Jesus actually uses them later in the same sentence interchangeably. It's talking about the coming presence of God there. When Jesus began to his ministry, he went to the synagogue one day and he got to do the reading and they handed him the, the scrolls and he opens it up. He gets to pick the scroll and what he's going to read that day. And he reads in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, this account out of Isaiah 61, which is a prophecy about the coming Messiah and the coming kingdom. And listen to this out of, uh, out of Luke. It says, the spirit of the Lord, this is what Jesus read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And all the eyes, all of them were in the synagogue were fixed upon him and he began to say to them, catch this, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, today, Jesus begins to initiate the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus was bringing the kingdom into their midst at that very moment. And it, it's, he, his invitation, the gospel that he gives, is repent and come to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. 
Now, when the listeners of that day heard him say, repent for the kingdom of God is here, they began to think, okay, kingdom of God, and here's the way their brain went. Going to kick the Romans out. We're gonna, it's going to be geographical. We're going to have our borders once again, and nobody can come in or out unless we say so. We're going to kick these Romans out of here. We're going to have a political kingdom. We're going to have a military kingdom, a military action here. God is going to show up, kill the Romans, and put us in charge, and it's going to be like heaven. <laughs> not, not really exactly would it be, but that's what they're thinking. They're thinking in very tangible, political, or geographical terms. The kingdom of God is going to show up. So what do we think about when we think about the kingdom of God or God showing up or God being present with us? Sometimes we have a temptation to think, well, that means that our way is going to be the way, that uh, our political party or persuasion is going to be the way that everybody's going to live and it's going to be really good then, that our nation's going to put uh, all of our enemies to flight and, 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 and that's going to be good. And we begin to think about tangible ways like that sometimes in very limited terms. But Jesus invites us into something else. So notice when Jesus presents the gospel, he begins with a very important word. He says, repent, repent. I love Chris's message a few weeks ago. We were in Lent on repentance because he pointed out a very important thing. We oftentimes think about repentance in very morbid terms, kind of sad, very heavy thing where we place an emphasis upon failure, we place an emphasis upon sin, we place an emphasis upon turning from that sin that we've been struggling with. And there is a regret and a sorrow over sin that can lead to repentance and point us toward repentance. But the Bible says really what points us toward repentance is the goodness of God. It's the sweetness of God, the forgiveness of God. So when you think about repentance, it's not just the turning from sin, it's because something more beautiful is here. Someone greater is here. Someone more satisfying than any of the sins of the world are here. And repentance literally means turning and facing God. It's turning to him. Think about the prodigal for a moment. He thought, man, I can live this life out here at my own pleasures and it's going to be great. He goes out and he tries it all out and it doesn't work and it's miserable failure. So what is it that turns his heart back toward his father? Is it because when he got back, his father was going to say, man, you really blew it. Let me just beat you up about this. No, it was remembering the goodness of his father, the sweetness of his father, the generosity of his father. And he says, man, it would be better to be a servant in his household than to be living in this life that I have destroyed over here. So he turns to the father and he begins to move toward the father. That's repentance. It's, it's a good thing. It's I'm facing God. I'm turning to him. I'm drawing to him. I'm headed in his direction. That's what repentance is. And the beautiful thing about this story is that when the father sees the son from afar, what happens? He runs to him. His, his heart longs for him. His heart has been yearning for him to come back because it is overfilled with love. So repentance, as Chris pointed out, is a beautiful thing. It's a daily turning our face toward God. Jesus' gospel, the good news, the announcement is turn toward God, face him. Why? Because he's here. He's showing up. His kingdom is breaking into our midst right now. His kingdom is coming, and you can begin to experience it. Well, if the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is not a geographical place or a political rule, then what exactly is it? What is the kingdom of God? I mean, we're just talking in theoretical terms here if it's not something more tangible than that. John Wimber 
who's the founder of the Vineyard Churches, defined the kingdom of God in a very simple way. He said it's the reign and the rule of God. It's where God is reigning. It is where God is ruling. It is where God is showing up. Dallas Willard, who is another philosopher whom Jesus loved, we have to get a quote in from Dallas, is the kingdom of God. He says this, the kingdom of God is the place where God reigns, where what he wants is done. His will is done. So that means that we can be living in this, this kingdom, this domain, this world in which we live in, but we can at the same time through submitting and surrendering our hearts to God, be entering into and experiencing the reign and the rule of God in our hearts because we've yielded our hearts to his way. And we pray with earnest and with sincerity, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in me. That's what it means to enter the kingdom of God, even now, even now. We'll come back and talk about that in just a moment. But there's a, a tension because when we talk about, well, the, if the kingdom of God is here, why is this planet such a mess? Why is everything in, in such turmoil? So Wimber would go on explaining this, unpacking this tension that we all feel. Like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be experiencing the kingdom of God, and yet there's so much turmoil here. That what Jesus comes and does is he brings the initiation, the invasion, the beachhead of the kingdom of God breaking into our midst. And it begins to expand through the teachings of Jesus, through his words, through the miracles as he demonstrates the power of the kingdom, through his invitation, the invitational life to come and to do life with him. The kingdom begins to break in tournaments. So people begin to, little pockets of people begin to discover God is here. There is a peace and a joy and a power when the Lord shows up. I hunger for that. I desire more of that. And people begin to experience that. But at the same time, there's another kingdom afoot in our world today, the kingdom of, of Satan, the domain of darkness. And so in this world that we live in, where these two kingdoms exist simultaneously right now, there's cosmic warfare. We feel the tension of that. We are born in the midst of a battle. We're born into a war. I, I don't know if I've ever shared this before, but I, I kind of like the old Star Trek movies, you know, and the new ones. I love the way that they redid the Star Trek movie where James T. Kirk shows up and, uh, and uh, begins to, his, his uh, reign as a captain of the Enterprise, okay? If you saw the first remake, he's born on a battle cruiser in the midst of a battle. You remember that, if you saw that? And, you know, Klingon, I think they're fighting the Klingons and spaceships are blowing up and there's fire everywhere and it's doom and gloom. And in the midst of all this warfare going on, his mother gives birth to him. And I remember when I saw that, I thought, this is crazy, but it kind of makes sense. You know, he becomes a great warrior. And then, and then the Lord just kind of whispers in my heart. And he goes, yeah, but you guys are born in the middle of a battle too. You're born in the middle of a war too. We're born into a war between two kingdoms. And we get to choose which direction we're going to go, which kingdom we want to move in. The Lord comes and he says, I've got good news. Turn around. Change the way you've been thinking about this. God's presence is breaking into your midst. And he's inviting you to come and to do life with him today. So repent. The kingdom of God is near. It is near. When Jesus teaches the Beatitudes and so many of the teachings from this point, you'll notice if you go through and you study this for yourself that there's a saying. In fact, in fact I really encourage you, go through Matthew and just circle every time it says the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. But you'll notice a change that begins to take place. Jesus begins to say the kingdom of God is like, and then he gives a teaching. 
In some of the teachings, he says the kingdom of God is like, it points toward the, the old-time gathering or the, the end-time gathering and separation between those who follow and those who don't. But many times the teachings of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is like a seed that's planted and begins to grow. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that is planted and begins to grow. The kingdom of God is like yeast that is mixed into bread and it begins to grow. And he begins to talk about the present, ever-present, ever-expanding, ever-growing kingdom of God as the reign and the rule of God begins to take place in our hearts, our lives, and around us. He says the kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure that you long for and search for. The kingdom of God is like lost pearls that you seek after. The kingdom of God is something that is desirable and you seek after it. As you do, you find it. And he tells us in John 5, he says, my father is always at work, always at work. Right now, God is working. Right now, God is working around us. He's always at work, and he says to this very day, and he goes, I too, I am working. So here's the question for me and you. Do I see him at work? If the word of God says that the Father is always working around us, that Jesus is at work around us, do I have eyes to see, ears to hear? I got to be honest, not always, not often enough. And so many times I'm distracted by other things or let my heart get focused on something else that even though the reality of God's kingdom is here, I have a tendency sometimes to miss it. One of the things that's important to understand with this kingdom message is that Christianity is incarnational. It's one of, the, one of the most strong points of, of the whole Christian message. And it's what sets Christianity apart from so many of the other religions of the world. It, it, it's, incarnation is a big word. It just means in the flesh. It means that God shows up and he's here. In other religions, you go to the holy place or you go to the temple or you go to the, the place where their leader performs different things. And you go and you, you take a pilgrimage and maybe you go to those places. And you see it, you go, wow, that's cool. Our religious leader did X, Y, Z here. This is a very neat place. That's fine. But, but that's where you go to worship is where he was or the leader was. Christianity is radically different. God says, no, you don't go to a temple to worship me. I'm here. I come to you. You worship me here. And we, I think we put that on one of our emails. We worship God wherever we are because we're worshiping here in person. We've got members of our church that are worshiping from home right now. We worship because God is present because he, in, he was incarnate. And through Jesus, he comes to us no matter where we are. And he says, I want you to experience me anywhere and everywhere you are. Not just in a building, not just in a temple, not just in a synagogue, but everywhere in facing anything, I am there and I promise to be with you. Always, I bring my kingdom to you. I bring my presence to you. I bring my rule to you right now. And when he comes to us, he doesn't wait until we get good enough or holy enough or clean enough to come to us. He comes to us while we're still sinners, while we're still messed up. Christ dies for us and invites us into his kingdom. And I believe that he comes to us in the midst of our messiness, of our sin, of our dirt, because he knows we cannot get to him on our own. And so he comes to us and he invites us in. He takes his, our sins upon himself and he invites us to come with him. This means that we do not do life alone. We, he never leaves us, never forsakes us, never turns his back on us and never gives up. Whatever we face, 
God is with us. Our tendency is to get our eyes on what we face, like Peter in the water, he steps out of the boat, which is a pretty big step. Nobody else did it. And he gets out on the water, and as he begins to look at the waves and the distractions, he sinks. He puts his eyes on Jesus, and Jesus rescues him and walks him back to the boat. Jesus is with us no matter what we face. Even, even in temptation, we have a tendency to let the enemy beat us up. We feel tempted. We go, well, I'm tempted because I'm weak. I'm a louse. I'm no good. And, and what Satan did, he hits us with a double whammy, you think about this. First of all, he comes and he, he tempts us with something, and then he shames us for being tempted. Like, you know, you're a horrible person because you were tempted with that. And so he kind of comes at us from both angles. I, I, I want to let Jesus step into the midst of this with us. We don't face our temptations alone. You don't do it alone. Jesus is there. In fact, the scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted in all ways. In Hebrew 4, 15, let's read this. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted, say it with me, in, that was really weak, <laughs> who was tempted in every way. Now say it again, in every Yes, just as we are and yet he did not sin. Sometimes I think it's helpful to sit and soak in that. What does that mean? What does that mean? Jesus was tempted in every way. If you do an extensive Greek search on this, you'll find out that every way means every way. It means the same way as we are. He's tempted. He didn't sin, but he's tempted in that way. He understood what it's like to be tempted. And he says, I empathize. He sits with you and says, I understand what it's like to be pulled in that way. We tend to think of Jesus, uh, Chris says, as Superman with uh, bullet immunity. You know, like bang, 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 didn't feel a thing. Not so. He is fully in the flesh, in this body, and he feels the heat, temptation, the pull, the, 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 the temptation is tempting. It's real. So he feels the pressure of it. He hears the rationale and the excuses. And we see that in his temptations. The enemy comes and throws those things at him, just like he does us. But Jesus comes to us and he says, I understand. He doesn't come to us scolding us going, again? Are you kidding me? Again? No. He comes and sits with us and goes, I know what you're facing and what you're battling. More than that. Think about this fact that when Jesus went to the cross, whose sin did he bear? Our sin. That means that he felt the consequences, the way, the toxicity of all of the sin, of my sin, your sin, and all of the world's sin. Not his, but ours. Which is why he cries out, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment there was a huge separation between him and the Father whom he had been in eternal fellowship with as he felt the toxicity, the weight, the poison, of, and the death of our sin. But it was ours. He is with us in our temptation. But he's not only with us in our temptation, and he's with us in all of life. He's not just with us. The scripture says, when it comes to this kingdom of his and his presence, he's in us. Look in Luke chapter 17, verse 20. We'll put it up here. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, 
when the kingdom of God would come. All right, you're talking about the kingdom of God. When's it going to come? And he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. They were looking for the geographical, political thing. Nor will you say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In the Greek, it literally means the kingdom of God. It's almost, it, the, the Greek literal is, is not the same structure that we have. It doesn't flow. It's more like Yoda, you know, the way it kind of throws things around. The kingdom of God inside of you, it is. You know, I hear Yoda's voice when I hear that. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God inside of you, intos, it is. The basilio, the kingdom of God inside of you, it is. That's where it is. Now, in a debate about rules later on, Paul gives us some insight. They were debating about entering in the kingdom of God. We need to keep these rules in order to experience the Lord, the fullness. And what he says in Romans 14 is, and it gives us a definition of the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of rules and checklist, but of righteousness, of righteousness, which has been purchased for us by Jesus on the cross and given to us, and peace, shalom, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The experience of the kingdom of God and the experience of the king is an abundance of his presence. There is righteousness. There is peace. There is joy and the Holy Spirit manifested and experienced. What this means is we can experience the presence of God now. We don't have to wait until heaven to begin to taste God's presence now, to begin to experience him and to know him. Richard Foster wrote this. He says, you see, the goal of the Christian life is not simply to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us, to the challenge. So much of the ministry of Jesus is spent waking people up to the reality. He says, look and see. Look and see. If you have ears to hear, it's one of his favorite sayings, if you have ears to hear, listen. They got ears. We can have ears and not be listening. We can have eyes and not be seeing. And so Jesus' ministry is a wake-up call. I'm announcing the kingdom of God is here. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. Wake up and see it. Open your eyes and experience it. Years ago, I had a friend who lived in Florida, and uh, one, he was a pastor. And one day, he had this, this guy from the university over visiting him. He was a professor of uh, some kind of biological realm. I don't remember exactly. And they're sitting there talking. The windows are open. And he says to my friend, he says, Peter, do you, do you realize that you have 19 species of crickets in your yard? And he said, What? All, he goes, what do you hear? He says, all I hear is crickets. He goes, well, as we've been sitting here, I've picked out 19 distinct species of crickets in your yard. You've got to have a pretty boring life, I would think, to, to know that. Uh, he had studied. How did he do He had studied crickets. He had spent a lot of time listening to crickets. He had trained his ear to listen to crickets for whatever reason, and he could hear and distinguish crickets. When we train our senses, we begin to say, I'm looking to see where God is at work. I want to distinguish between my kingdom and my thoughts and the world's thoughts and the world's kingdom and God's kingdom because he is here. Do I see him? Do I notice him at work? The Bible warns us about missing it. In fact, in some of Jesus' parables, he gives a parable about a wedding party and there's 10, there's 10 people, and they're supposed to get ready for the bridegroom to come. And, and five of them get ready, 
and five of them don't get ready to fall asleep. And what happens by their slumber is they miss it. It's possible for us to have an intoxicated, slumbering spirit in this world today and miss what the Lord is doing right now. There's another story, another parable he gives about a guy who falls asleep and the thief comes in the house and steals from him. When we don't have our eyes open, when we're not awake, have a prayerful awareness, a prayerful awakeness to look for God as at work around us, we can have the enemy come and steal many good things from us and we miss them. And so Jesus says, wake up, sleepers. Look and see. Be alert to what is going on because I don't want you to miss it. Like Jacob over in Genesis 28, verse 16, uh, he falls asleep. He has a, a vision and an encounter with God and says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Well, he says that when he became aware of it. That's a wonderful wake-up call. It'd be good for us, you know, to say, you know what? The Lord was here all along. I didn't realize it, but he is here. God is inviting us into that awareness of his presence. I'll end. We'll wrap up. You know, whenever a pastor says finally, uh, sometimes it just means they're halfway through. Uh, Look at the book of Philippians. Halfway through, chapter chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says finally. And then you go, but he's only halfway through. I'm, I'm much more than that, okay? So be at ease. The danger is missing God. We don't want to miss him. I love the story of Mary and Martha because I've lived in that story personally. Um, Jesus is there. He's visiting the home, and they have this encounter. And I'll, I'll just read this. It says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered into a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Notice Martha's the one who welcomed them. She, she wanted Jesus to come there. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him, and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to get up and help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I, I read that, and I see myself in, in, in Martha. I mean, Martha, do give her credit. She's the one who said, hey, Jesus, come hang out with us. You know, she says, yes, she had desire and love and appreciation for Jesus, and she brings him into the home. But then rather than spending time with him, she gets distracted in service. It's, it's possible for any of us to do that. We can get sometimes so busy working in church that we miss what God is doing. We can get so busy in just the mundane things of life that we're all focused in that, and we, don't miss, we miss God in the moments with our kids, with our spouse, with opportunities that we face by day. And that's what Martha did. She just got, he, Jesus says, you're distracted. You're multitasking. What he does is he speaks right into the multitasking destructiveness of life that Martha was engaged in where she's stressed out. Yeah. Irritable. Anybody else ever? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're there with you, Martha. And a little bit resentful. And what she does is pretty bold. She rebukes and scolds the Son of God. Yeah, that's what's happening. She goes to Jesus and says, hey, 
Do you see this? Don't you care what's taking place? Don't you see? I'm doing all the work and she's not doing any work. And here's, I mean, it had to be kind of, I would think sometimes things like this were funny to Jesus. Because here he is, the Son of God present with them, and she's scolding him and rebuking him. And, and he, he, what he does is very calmly, he, re, he says, Martha, Martha. So you're, you're just anxious and troubled. I think some versions say distracted by so many things. And I sit with that, and I hear the voice of God speak to Scott. You are distracted with so many things so often, aren't you? You're busy, busy, busy. But only one thing in life is really necessary. Only one thing in life will really last. Only one thing in life will help you really truly enjoy the moments of your life. And that's stopping with prayerful awareness and being with me. Letting me be with you. Invite me into your life. Invite me into this moment. Invite me into your struggle, your temptation, your questions, your dilemmas. Don't do it alone. Invite me. Invite my kingdom in. Jesus not only instructs us and invites us to this incarnational life with him, but he invites us to do it with him. He invites us to extend the kingdom of God. One of the things that we see in Scripture is that he gives authority and permission and instruction to the followers, his followers, to go preach the kingdom. Go preach the kingdom. Go extend the kingdom. And we have an opportunity to do that on a day-by-day basis. I was in Publix um, way too often, I find myself in Publix or Walmart or, you know, somewhere, uh, Target. And I was in, in the Publix line the other day. And, of course, you've got you to socially distance so they're six feet apart. And there's a long line. And I'm up kind of close to the front there. And in front of me uh, is a young mother. And the mother has two children. Uh, one of them is maybe two years old, and they are into everything, every candy bar, every candy, everything. They're just like hands all, all over this stuff, pulling things out. And then the, the infant, the baby is in her arms, and the baby is, uh, well, it, it, it must have been nap time, or nap time must have been about three hours ago, because this is not a happy baby. He's pulling, you know, at the lady's hair and slapping at her face and kicking and squirming and crying, and this is taking forever because she had a lot of groceries. And not only did she have a lot of groceries, guess what? She had coupons. And so she's digging in the, the, this bottomless purse and trying to find coupons. Going, Wait a minute, see this one? No, 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 that one, that one, that one doesn't. Puts it back, pulls another one. I think this one... I think this one, and oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I gotta, meanwhile, there's this long line behind me, and I can feel the heat building behind me. And I'm just kind of sandwiched in between here. And I'm, I'm personally thinking, you know, she could have organized this a little bit better. Uh, maybe she could have planned ahead and not come during nap time. You know, so I'm judging her, and, uh, and I'm thinking, I could, you know, we could all order and organize her life better than she has, quite obviously. Uh, and I'm watching this kind of unfold, and I'm also thinking, and I've, I've got to get home and write a message on the kingdom of God. So come on, you know, let's get going here. Uh, there's important things to be done here. You know, Sunday's coming. And behind me, I turn around, I see eyes roll, 
And I see head shaking, and like I said, I'm feeling the heat. I'm sandwiched in between this chaos and this uh, fury behind me, this rage beginning to kind of boil back there. And, and I'm thinking, this is, this is really crazy. And then the Lord says, yeah, this is a choice, isn't it? This is a choice, isn't it? Because you can live inside of your life in which the universe revolves around you, or you can realize that the kingdom of God is here, even for this poor lady who's going having a bad day. The kingdom of God is here. And you can get up into your head and live in your head, or you can begin to live with the heart that I have. And so I said, well, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see. Let me see as you see. And what the Lord sees is a woman who's really uh, stressed out. She's doing the best that she can. She's loving on those kids, trying to provide for those kids. She may be a single mom. I don't know. But the fact is that God loves her and cares about her. His kingdom, he came for her and her children too. And he wants to extend his kingdom to her. Now, I'm thinking, okay, so how do I engage in that? How do we, in situations like this, how do we engage in the kingdom of God? Well, there's a, a, a multitude of things. We don't live in the day where I can say, hey, let me take that baby and hold that baby for you. We can't, because I read in the news that somebody did that at Walmart, and they took off with a baby. And uh, the news wanted us to know that, so we would all live in fear. But, um, <laughs> so I thought, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. But, you know what? I can pray for her in this low risk. And I can, I can have God's compassion for her and I can, I can speak into the situation. I can smile at her and say, it's going to be okay, man. I've been there. I made it through. I mean, before you know it, they're going to be in college. No, maybe, maybe not that. But, um, you know, just a word of comfort. It's, going to be, it's okay. It's okay. You know, I could turn around and tell the rest of the people, bug off. They've got a little. No, that wouldn't be bringing the kingdom either, would it? But we have an invitation to expand the kingdom of God. Sometimes in more tangible ways when someone's going through something and we're giving counsel and advice and we're kind of working up here in our head is to stop and say, well, you know what, I don't know, but, but God loves you and he cares. Let's invite him. Let's invite him in. You see, God is inviting us to live in a prayerful awareness of his kingdom now. Not ruminating on the past or the good old days or the mistakes we've made and not being anxious about the future and saying, yeah, one day everything is going to be better. But stopping and saying, Lord, right now I want to invite you into this mess, into this situation, into the confusion of my heart, and ask your kingdom to come and rule and set things right. Sometimes the Lord will show up in uh, mysterious and even miraculous ways when we take that risk of extending his kingdom. We pray for people or share with people. One of the things that happens for sure is what Paul talked about, that the kingdom of God, it, it is righteousness. It is love. It is joy in the Holy Spirit. And we begin to experience that. We, we become people of the way who walk with God and do life with him. So I don't know what your week's been like. Uh, my, my week's maybe a lot like your week's. There's all kinds of, there's a mixture of good and bad and challenging in the midst of that. And the Lord wants us to know that he came to proclaim the good news. Kingdom of God is here. Kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is with you. It's within you. Open. Listen. See. Seek. And you will not miss it. You will not miss it. 
Stand with me. We're going to pray together, and we're going to have communion in just a moment.